What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays jumpers, Jaron Jackson Juniors, John Morantz, Joe Johnsons, Jaw Rafts, of course. We've got to, we've got Jays. We've got them for days. Josh, how you doing? Jay Wright. Of all the things for Jay Wright to do in his retirement, I did not have Philadelphia Union hype video narrator. <laughs> Anywhere near the top of my list. But I love the fact that that even got you excited and you just have oh, no vested interest whatsoever. I was ready <laughs> to run through a brick wall. And like the close-ups of him, like if you put that on mute and asked me what he was talking about, <laughs> you could either tell me he was threatening lives as an, an Italian mob boss or talking about <laughs> soccer. And I'd be like, okay, I'm locked in. Like, yeah. like, like he is, he is portraying that level of intensity either way. Um, <laughs> But oh yeah, and, and just in general, it's a incredibly well put together hype video, which yeah. is they their digital is, and social team is sensational, which is yeah. an underrated skill. But because there are definitely some quirky hype videos that go out out there, but uh, the point that you made about about you know I was going to you made the point of I can't believe with everything going on in Philadelphia as a sports city right now that they were able to get Jay Wright to voice the Philadelphia Union hype video and i was going to respond with yeah but he needs work so of course he'll do it um but then i watched it and i was like it's not even worth the joke like i'm just locked <laughs> in on it. like i'm like i'm hyped up by it i'm not even gonna make the joke um but yeah absolutely spectacular and i watched the first couple seconds and i thought i wonder who this narrator is and then he appeared on screen i went well Oh, <laughs> well, well, I didn't I didn't know because right, I, I expected I thought I was you were sending it to me and I was going to know exactly who the narrator was. Right. Right. And yeah, I, was I didn't like, recognize I don't, it. I don't know. Like, because Jay Wright's voice isn't I mean, he's yeah. got a he's got a fine voice, but it's not it's not distinct. Right. Yeah, yeah. And. And I saw him come on the screen. I was like, oh, OK, yeah, I'm locked in. I know what's happening here now. But, um, but uh, spectacular. Um. We're going to push off the rest of our hype video power rankings for next week. This week, we're talking Pac-12. We talked between Josh and I. We talked about the conference on the Tuesday pod, Monday pod, Tuesday Tuesday pod, pod. on the Tuesday pod. One of those days early in the week. It's our early week pod. Now it's Thursday, Friday, whenever you might be listening to this. And that pod um, is going to have Connor Hope. Connor Hope is a contributor to the almanac first of all if we we haven't plugged the almanac on this podcast no, yet fair point if you don't own the almanac if you're not spending the 1999 for the pot like it's the it's the equivalent of not spending the 1999 on kempom and then claiming that you're an actual college basketball fan if you're not if you're not getting the almanac 814 pages 1300 words for each team all 363 um absolutely absolutely spectacular uh, piece of content um, from the guys at Field of 68 and Heat Check College Basketball and Juco Juco Sports. Three and, Man Weave got involved, I and three, believe. And Three Man Weave as well. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, Jeff Goodman, Rob Doster, all of those guys. Connor is a uh, is part of the Heat Check College Basketball Network um, and the co-host of the Hangout College Basketball Podcast, which is the Heat, which is the Heat Check's flagship college basketball podcast um but uh he hopped on the podcast because he is passionate about about the pac-12 unconditionally and uh we needed somebody like that to talk about the pac-12 in the dark days of the conference out west 
So uh, Connor came on and we talked all things Pac-12 from the tippity top to the bottom to the toes of the conference and some of those teams that just have absolutely no reason to be excited about their college basketball season. But we got hey, it's a new much- beginning. It's a new okay. beginning. Everybody right. can be excited. All right. All right, Josh, you know, Connor talks about, you know, Connor, you know, after we were recording was talking about talking to a coach about when you play a team that you have no business beating and you just have to be real with them. Sometimes you just got to be real with the, with your fans. Okay. Sometimes it's just not, sometimes it's just not in the cards, no matter what you do, but um, Connor hope heat check college basketball, great conversation on the PAC 12. Let's jump to that right now. Joining us now from heat check college basketball, among, among many other things, Connor hope at hoops, hope CBB on Twitter. Connor, thank you so much for taking the time. How are you today? Doing well. Thank you guys for having me. I'm, I'm excited to talk uh, Pac-12 with pretty much anybody that's, that's willing to listen. <laughs> and, yeah. we, and we are happy that you are willing to talk Pac-12 because <laughs> there are some other conferences it's easier to find experts for. So we appreciate you as well. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the West Coast, uh, rightfully so in, in, for a lot of seasons, doesn't get as much coverage as, as some of the Midwest and, and East Coast conferences. Um, Pac-12 mainly being because it's probably the worst of the high majors, but uh, it's going to be an exciting year. So let's talk about, let's start just generally with the, with the talent of, of the, the Pac-12 kind of from, from top to bottom, right. Indisputably the last five or so years of the Pac-12, and you could probably even go a little further than that have been, have been underwhelming um, apart from some, intriguing and unexpected NCAA tournament runs. Um, where does the Pac-12 roster, just as the conference as a whole, land in terms of talent relative to, as you said, the the rest of the power of the rest of the power conference landscape? Yeah. I mean, I think if you look back at the last couple of years, you could probably put from a talent from a talent perspective in terms of the freshmen that were coming in, the Pac-12 up maybe even above the big 10. I mean, the, 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 the sheer amount of freshman talent that's been coming in over the last couple of years has been great for the PAC 12. I think where you fall short is either the coaches are being unable to put that talent together um, in the way that kind of Washington and Arizona state have fallen flat with the talent that they've gotten um, or just the big 10 keeps their players a lot longer. So they have a lot more experience in general than, than the PAC 12. And obviously the, the Big 12, ACC, um, and uh, SEC are on a different level for both of those things, right? The, the amount of talent they have coming in in those three conferences is incredible. Um, and their ability to continuously put in, put experienced rosters on the floor on the flip side um, has also been great. So, you know, the Pac-12, I think where they fall short is they have a lot of young talent pretty much every year, but the players that stay in the Pac-12 uh, it tends to be top heavy UCLA, Oregon, Arizona, USC has kind of joined that mix. Um, but also uh, a lot of their star freshmen come in and either disappoint or leave immediately. And you don't get a lot of that continuity uh, within the rest of the conference. Where do you feel like the PAC 12 is kind of heading into this season? I feel like it's sort of interesting because we're not talking about UCLA coming off a final four run and, everybody having UCLA as, you know, a top three preseason team. It's sort of this space where we can just talk about the Pac-12 as the Pac-12, where the NCAA tournament was fine. You had some Sweet 16 teams, but nobody's, you know, 
came all that close to winning a national championship. Where do you see this conference? Do you do you think we have national title contenders here? And kind of just what do you think the state of the Pac-12 is heading into this season? It's tough. I don't think the Pac-12 has any title contenders. Um, UCLA would probably be the closest right now. Um, and obviously the coaches that you have in Dana Altman at Oregon and uh, Tommy Lloyd at Arizona could certainly elevate their their rosters to that level. Um, but you're looking at kind of three teams that are going to sit probably just at the edge of top 10 um, for UCLA. And then that top kind of 15 to 30 for Arizona and Oregon for most of the season. Um, none of them really inspire much confidence in terms of putting them in that category of kind of like those top six to seven teams that we've been talking about as national title contenders. I think the top of the Pac-12 is stronger than the top of the Big Ten. And so the Pac-12 go heading into the tournament might seem better than the Big Ten. I do think where the Big Ten has the advantage is that middle of the Big Ten is a lot tougher than the middle of the Pac-12. And so some of these teams that are coming in that might even end up being better than some of these top three for the Pac-12 will just have more duds because they'll be going up against tougher competition in the middle of the conference that people still don't necessarily consider as, as good. Um, despite the fact that the big, big 10, you know, even if they're not the top, the biggest top heavy conference has competitors all throughout, but the PAC 12, for the most part, I think there's top, a top three that can all compete for the PAC 12 title um, with UCLA kind of being the clear favorite. Uh, and beyond that, it's just a ton of question marks. And I'm not really high on any of these teams four through, well, four through 10 or four through nine, but, um, you know, because the bottom two to three are not going to be talked about at all over the course of the season. Um, and if they are, it'll be negative. But that four through kind of nine that all have that discussion of being bubble teams, I'm not really sure how bubbly some of those teams are. You know, I think that's part of, right, we've kind of just gotten to this point with the Pac-12 where, you know, the top three, as you said, we tend to produce borderline national title contenders, just straight up national title contenders. You know, there were a few years ago, I can't remember which year specifically, but the year that they only got three or four teams in the tournament, but three of them were top three seeds. Um, yeah. Where... It, you said you weren't super high on on anybody else in this conference, which is completely understandable because I don't think anybody is. <laughs> um, if if the conference right, we went for we were three teams last year. I think four teams is is more than obtainable because you have to think that Oregon puts together a season that gets them back to the NCAA tournament. Um, where do you, where does the Pac-12 go from there? Is there are there two or three teams that if they're going to stretch the league to a five bid league this year, um, the teams that you think have the best chance of doing that, uh, or teams that you are considering might actually take that step to at, at the very least a bubble team. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult because when you're looking at these teams, there's a lot of low floor, high ceiling teams. There's a lot of high floor, low ceiling teams. There's mm -hmm. not a lot of high floor, high ceiling teams beyond those top three. USC is probably the closest. Um, the reason I'm down on them is because of how much they relied on the Mobleys over the last couple of years. Um, but they still have some pretty solid role players. They have Boogie Ellis. They have Drew Peterson, who I'm not quite as high on being the guy as opposed to a, a complimentary piece to another star. 
Um, but if they can get that working, if uh, Iwachukwu can, can uh, come back from from his you know health issues and be a solid piece as a freshman big, this is a team that I feel like has the pieces where they should be in the tournament. Um, I really like Reese Dixon Waters to take the next step. But beyond beyond really beyond Boogie Ellis and Drew Peterson, there's a, there's just a lot of question marks. Um, either role players that are going to step into bigger roles or freshmen, especially in the front court that you're going to have to rely on. And, and I'm not a big freshman front court believer. Stanford is another one um, of everyone below the, the top three. Stanford probably has the best player in Harrison Ingram. Uh, you also have Issa Silva, who didn't get a lot of run last year, but I really like him as a pure point guard. Um, that front court is solid enough to do well in the Pac-12. Um, the biggest question mark is Jared Haas. You know, every time you give Jared Haas expectations, he fails to deliver. Uh, every time you don't, he over delivers. So he's kind of like in that mid range. Um, the other two that I'm really intrigued by, and I know a lot of people are down on them. I really like Colorado. Uh, this is a team where if you're talking about just consistently having a high floor, Tad Boyle teams always have a fly high floor. I mean, even when they go up against these top three teams, Colorado's going to out effort and out compete everyone that they play. Whether they win or lose is based on talent, but there's never been a time where you watch a Colorado team, especially late in the season, where you don't come away feeling like they out competed and out efforted the other team. And usually it shows up on the on the boards. Usually it shows up with, you know, how tough it is to beat them doing the dirty work. Mm -hmm. uh, but Tristan da Silva. Is, a, is an excellent player. Uh, Ethan Wright transferring in from Princeton. Um, we'll see how that jump ha uh, works out for him, but I really like him uh, as kind of a, a secondary guard, really good three-point shooter. Neek Clifford is also a really good, good three-point shooter. Um, and so they've got three or four with Julian Hammond, good three-point shooters that can uh, be you know, quality pieces that can keep them up offensively, even if their defense might take a step back. But I really like this Colorado team. And then the third one where I'm lower on them, because I just don't trust Mike Hopkins to mm. coach them up, <laughs> but they have the talent to do it is Washington. Mm. Noah Williams comes over from rival Washington state. Excellent combo guard. They, they return Jamal Bay and Cole Bahima. Um, they bring, Frank Kepnang, who's also an intra-conference transfer from Oregon, and then Keon Brooks from Kentucky. That starting five should be really good. The issue is Mike Hopkins. And so this is one of those teams where I'm talking about low floor, high ceiling. This team could be, they could finish fourth. They have the talents to, to do it in the Pac-12, um, but they could also finish ninth because it's Mike Hopkins. And, and I don't want to, you know, uh, overemphasize Mike Hopkins, but he was going to be the heir apparent yep. to Syracuse and is no longer the heir apparent to Syracuse, despite having one of the best transfer or one of the best freshman classes that Washington has had, you know, in the last kind of two decades. And that's because he failed with that, that freshman class. So we'll see how they play this year. Uh, you know, they, they have a good roster. Uh, they would be the only other one. Washington State, I like. I like Kyle Smith as a coach. I just don't think they have the talent. Uh, Arizona State, we can discuss. I don't. I am out on Arizona State and everything Bobby Hurley. Um, 
And then yes, obviously, <laughs> obviously the, the rest of them, I feel like are a step below those, those teams. Going back to USC for a second, before we unpack the rest of that, you mentioned the Iwu Chukwu injury. Obviously this was built with the idea that you had that next high profile five-star center coming in to replace the Mobley's. Now it's unclear if that is ever going to come to fruition. Of course, health is the priority from an on-court standpoint. How much of a, a blow do you think not having Iwu Chukwu is, you know, there are other high profile recruits. There are returning players like the Drew Petersons, the Boogie Ellis's of the world. I just sort of feel like this USC team, and we talked about this when we did our preview, it's all like the best Andy Enfield teams are built around that big time center that Iwu Chukwu was supposed to be. You don't have that piece. How much do you think that damages their ceiling in particular? I mean, it, they're not a deep team. Um, when you pivot from Iwu Chukwu, you, you have Joshua Morgan playing the five or Trey Wright or Kobe Johnson playing the three or four. You might have to move Peterson to like a small ball four and play Trey Wright at the three. Like it's it's very tough to see where they pivot from there. My guess is Joshua Morgan being a redshirt junior, having played in this system, takes up that five role. The drop in talent from Iwachukwu to Joshua Morgan is incredible. Um, and it's not just an injury. Like if it was just an injury, I'd be more, uh, I'd have more belief in them because you're coming back from an injury. Usually there's a defined timeline. Mm-hmm. You know that when they come back, you know, they might take a step back in terms of explosiveness, but it's whatever. I mean, this was a cardiac arrest. This was right. a an, a heart issue. And we've seen in the past, you know, he might not play this year. Right. Like it, it's just something, especially with heart issues that you have to take very deliberately and so um, if they don't have him for the entire year, you know, I don't know if USC is a tournament team. Like I, I like Drew Peterson as a uh, complimentary piece. As I said, Boogie Ellis, I think is a good point guard. I don't think he can be the guy. Um, Iwa Chukwu, I don't think he could have been the guy as a freshman, or maybe he could have, but at least he would provide that kind of big man in the middle that Andy Enfield needs. Um, so you don't have that anymore. So if he's available, I'm tempering my expectations either way. If he's available, I think this is a team that could sneak in at the back end of the at-large bids. Um, if he's not, you know, I think USC could fall out of that that top four conversation because I just don't think they have the depth behind him to lose such a big piece to what they were planning on doing. I want to go from one team that has a five-star big on the roster to another team that has a five-star big on the roster. This one is healthy and Adam Bona and I think that there's an argument that in UCLA's situation, that Adam Bona is at the tippity top of the most important freshman in the country this year. Because mm-hmm. if it's not Adam Bona for Mick Cronin this year, then it's Kenneth Nwuba, it's Mac Etienne. And as you said, the, the talent difference in those two options are, are very, very different. And uh, we can co- sort of expand that to a, a freshman conversation in within UCLA's ceiling in particular. But how important is Adam Bona, do you think, to UCLA's, you know, you talked about fringe title contender, maybe, and UCLA is probably, probably that team from this conference, if there is one. How important is Adam Bona to the ceiling of, of UCLA's team this year and how good they could be? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where Adam Bona is probably the fifth guy on this roster. 
right? You've got Jaime Hawkins and Tiger Campbell, obviously the top two. Jalen Clark, I'm expecting big things from taking over for, you know, you lose Johnny Juzang, but you also lose Jules, Jules Bernard. Yep. So he really needs to to make up for, for both of them. I like Amari Bailey better from a an option standpoint than Adam Bona. Obviously, I'm going to reiterate this. I don't trust freshman bigs early in the season, especially defensively. And that's where I get to the biggest loss that UCLA has going into this season is not Johnny Juzang. It's not Jules Bernard. It's the losses of Cody Riley and Miles Johnson. Neither of them were blew up the stat sheet from like just a pure numbers perspective. But Miles Johnson was one of the best defensive bigs in the Pac-12. Cody Riley was the offensive big for UCLA. You could play them in, in they, they didn't really play together. You could play them kind of going back and forth, almost better than what Purdue did with their two bigs. Um, I felt like those two bigs should have played more together. But Cody Riley, Miles Johnson, I feel like we're a good kind of you put Miles Johnson in when you need stops, you put Cody Riley in when you need points. Um, obviously, Cody Riley's ability to hit the mid-range during their final four run was massive. Um, but you're right. I mean, if, if Adam Bona doesn't deliver, you're relying on Mac Etienne, who like has issues off the court just as much as he has issues on the court. Um, and then Nuba, who played six minutes a game last year, and there was a reason for that. Like, I don't right. think Cody Riley and Miles Johnson were so good that they were pushing people out of the way to get to that starting rotation. Like they Nuba was just kind of there and, and he's a redshirt senior we've seen what we're going to get out of him at least at the end we've only seen one year and it was kind of he reclassed and came in and so we we don't really know what we have with Etienne. if bona doesn't deliver like you're right where do you pivot to do you play Hawkes as a, i mean he already plays a small ball four do you pivot him to a small ball five because you're going to need the points somewhere and, and i feel like playing Hawkes as the small ball five in offensive lineups allows you to run Singleton or Andrews, which might be a little bit better um, than running Muba or, or Etienne, depending on how their development comes. But Bona is the most important five in the Pac-12. Um, but I don't know if he's kind of like, I don't know if you're going to notice it because he's also the fifth guy on UCLA's mm-hmm. starting five. Yeah. Might be I, one of those things that if you do, right. There are, there are people whose jobs that you never want to think about them because their job is to, make sure you don't think about them, right? Like a, yep. an airplane pilot, <laughs> um, a bus driver, you know, they, any anybody you never want to hear, a radio producer, you, unless they're talking, you never want to realize that someone messed up. Maybe that's just what Bona needs to be. It, it might be so glaringly obvious that he's not around if he's not, if he's not good, um, even if it doesn't necessarily mean we're talking about Bona a lot, if, if he is a productive five for them. Like if he's a Miles Johnson like five points per game, seven rebounds and like a block and a half like that. That is excellent. Mm-hmm. But the five points people will be like, oh, he didn't deliver. Well, no, you have Jaime Hawkes, Jalen Clark, Amari Bailey and Tiger Campbell taking up <laughs> most of the scoring load. Five right. points per game from your five in UCLA's system is I mean, it's not excellent. It's not perfect, but it's it'll do the job. How excited are you in general we've talked about some of these high profile recruits ones that are going to take the floor and one that that might not but like you said at the beginning this is not a talent issue you see and even harrison ingram right he's going to come back and sort of get to build on a freshman season as another highly touted recruit at stanford do you feel like 
Omari Bailey, for example, as kind of the guy who's actually going to put up points and might show it more on the stat sheet, can become something that Peyton Watson wasn't last season. Do you feel like the ceiling on this freshman, this group of freshmen in the Pac-12 is higher? Is there one guy you're really excited about? Or are you sort of expecting you're going to see the struggles of the freshmen that we've seen recently in the Pac-12? Yeah, I mean, the one that I was looking forward to is Ira Chukwu because because mm. he you knew he was going to have a significant role in what UCLA or USC wanted to do. Um, I feel like the Peyton Watson issue was was a little bit weird because it. I mean, he he was just it wasn't like he wasn't good. I mean, he just he was playing behind Juzang, Jaime Jaquez, and Jules Bernard, um, and and Jalen Clark. Like he was playing behind really good wings. Um, Amari Bailey's not going to have this issue, right? right? You take pressure off of him because Tiger Campbell's one of the best point guards in the country, so he can be a pure shooting guard. Um, Jalen Clark is good, but you're you're going to be able to push him for shot opportunities. Jaime Jaquez plays a small ball four, so where Amari Bailey fits in is kind of in that you know Dylan Andrews will can spell Tiger Campbell at the point guard. Amari Amar Bailey can be a pure scoring guard for you, and, and I feel like that's where he's going to to excel. Um, and yeah, I mean, as far as freshmen go, like he's the one I feel like is in the best opportunity now uh, because you know Oregon's freshman Kelo Ware is going to have to fight for for minutes and opportunities within Folly Dante. Um, obviously, Iwachaku has his heart issue. Um, I don't know, Kylan Boswell. I mean, he's he has the issue that Peyton Watson had last year where he's playing behind some really good guards. So Amari Bailey, I feel like, is probably now the front runner. Um, I know Kel Ware has been getting a lot of hype, but I think Amari Bailey should be the front runner for Pac-12 Freshman of the Year, especially if UCLA does kind of dominate their run through the conference. Um but I feel like Kellaware is probably the closest uh, until we see what I would check who can give if he returns. Let's talk about Oregon a little bit with, with Kellaware. Um, you know, a team last year that it never really felt like, right. It, well, it didn't ever come together. They finished 20 and 15, <laughs> but right. It was a team that started 29th at, at Kim Palm. It was a team that was pretty, I mean, it, at least I remember a team that there were lots of people that were pretty high on. And then they get absolutely smoked by BYU third game into the season, that 81 49, like what in the world just happened to Oregon game. And then they just kind of lose to everyone good that they play. They get absolutely curb stomped by Houston and it never really amounts to anything impressive at all. You end up 20 and 15 on the season and it's just all in all of not a good season for Dana Altman's program. A lot of important pieces are back, right? There's there was definitely some some musical chairs going on, but Will Richardson is back for senior year, and Folly Dante is there. We talked about Kello Ware. Um, what needs to I, I, I guess what needs to happen in Eugene this year for them to be closer to the team that they were supposed to be at the beginning of last year? Because a a sixty point drop in Kimpom from a rankings perspective is not what I was expecting from Oregon, um, and they're right there at twenty nine. Uh, to start the season this year. What needs to happen with, with Dana Altman's team this year? Yeah, I feel like with Oregon, the pieces that needed to fit together <laughs> didn't fit. Mm -hmm. um, and the pieces that didn't fit are gone. Jacob Young's gone. Devion Harmon's gone. Eric Williams, I feel like, was a little bit more of a 
of an auxiliary piece, um, but he's gone. And so you keep Will Richardson and, and, and uh, Gary A kind of on the wing. Um, both are really good. I feel like they were the two that showed the most last year. Um, but for me, it's field goal percentage. You know, no one on this roster, um, it, with the exception of Infali Dante, really had an efficient scoring effort last year. That includes Keyshawn Bartholomew and Jermaine Cusinard, um, who are, are transferring in. Granted, I think taking Cusinard off of that kind of I need to do everything right. for my team role will help him. My biggest question is, is we still haven't seen Will Richardson hit that I can be a dominant point guard in a point guard league consistently, right? College basketball, you win with your guard play. Real Richardson is a great combo guard. I still want to see more from him as a primary point. And I think he has the opportunity now. Um, but again, this is a team where the the bench pieces are, are going to tell the story, right? Bartholomew has to step up as, as kind of that backup point guard. Um, Rivaldo Suarez has to be better and more consistent. I mean, he shot, I think, like 27% from three and not much better from the field. Um, Tyrone Williams uh, is transferring in as a Juco transfer um, and he has to be better. And, and then, you know, who's going to back. I understand you probably start twin towers where and Dante very talented, not really inspiring to me, but it is what it is. Who's going to back them up. Nate, Nate Biddle is probably the, the only guy there that can back them up unless you go Loquer and move him up into that kind of five or four position. Um, but, you know, outside of Suarez and Bartholomew, like we just don't know what we're going to get out of any of these players. And so if you get into these long slug fests where you have twin towers that let's be honest, freshman bigs foul. So where is likely going to have find himself in foul trouble and Folly Dante has not shown the ability to stay on the court consistently. I mean, even last year where he played almost every game, he only played 20 minutes a game. And so you're going to need to find that backup big. You're going to need to get more from Richardson and Dana Altman. I trust to put the pieces together. Cause I feel like the pieces fit a little bit better this year. Um, but he's just going to have to prove it with the pieces he's got. Uh, as a coach, he generally outperformed last year, being the exception, generally outperforms the talent. So uh, while I don't think it's a top 25 team, I think it's a surefire tournament team. Uh, but there's just question marks, as there is with pretty much every team in this conference outside of UCLA. <laughs> well, let's let's stick with the bench conversation and move that to Arizona. Basically, you've got a starting lineup of Courtney Ramey and a bunch of guys who were starting caliber players on that tremendous team last season. But some of them came off the bench and it was, you know, seven, eight guys that from one to seven or eight was as good as any team in the country. Now you've lost three guys who are NBA quality players off of that roster. Pretty much everything else comes back. How concerned are you about, because I just look at this and there's a glaring hole from a bench standpoint, once you get past those top five guys, how concerned are that are you about that for Tommy Lloyd? And what do you think, Arizona can do for an encore after what they did last season. And we're so consistent from beginning to end. Um, if the bench doesn't scare me as much, uh, Cedric Henderson, good three point shooter coming in from Campbell, 50 year guy, trust him. Adama ball. I feel like is a really good player. Kind of just got pushed. I mean, and that happens uh, for, for a freshman. 
Kylan Boswell, I feel like is pretty underrated as a freshman recruit. Um, Obviously part of that is because he's going to be behind three excellent guards. And I like the starting lineup. If, if you were talking about just kind of pure 40 minute basketball, my question with Arizona is who is the guy, right? Last year it was Benedict Matherin. Um, Dalen Terry would have been the guy this year. Had he stayed was very smart when it came to going to the NBA, obviously mm-hmm. he, he, he got a good, got good draft stock. Wasn't probably going to go much higher. He did what it, he did, what he did. You've got three guys you're looking at who could be the guy. Courtney Ramey's not going to be the guy. He's never been able to be the guy. He's a good complimentary piece. I'm high on him from the, in terms of the role he'll play this year, but that's just it. He'll be a role piece. Kirk Creesa can be the guy 30% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's the guy that makes you lose the other 70. So do I trust Kirk Creesa to be the guy? No. I trust him to be very high energy. I trust him to be, to have those really high highs, really low lows, kind of like Caleb Love at UNC. That's who Kirk Creesa is. I don't know if that's going to change. As well as Tabellis, he's a very good big, probably the best big in this conference. But I don't know if he can create his own shot and do things that Ben Matherin did at the end of games, especially in the tournament that helps them win like that TCU game. They don't win. If Ben Matherin doesn't take over at the end, that leaves Pelle Larson. Who's probably going to need to be the guy this year. Um, he shoots almost 50% from the floor is probably the best three point shooter in that starting rotation at like 36, 37%. Um, kind of a big guard can take over in, in a similar, not the same, but a similar vein to, you know, Matherin and Terry and the role that they played. But he was also a kind of a 7.3 rebound to assist guy last year, right? Like he needs to take that next step. And I know people are very high on him taking that next step. And there's a reason why I think Arizona is probably the closest to UCLA. And that's because they have these guys that can take that next step. Um, but we just need to see it, right? He, he was he was a role piece, or he didn't play much his, his freshman year, was a role piece last year. Um, and now he comes in as presumably the guy. And so do we trust him to be the guy? I trust him more than Drew Peterson <laughs> to be the guy for his team. Uh, but we'll just we'll we'll just need to see it. But that's my biggest concern. It's not the depth. I think the depth is fine, and especially Tommy Lloyd coming from Gonzaga, where they don't run a lot of depth, and mm. the style of play that they run. You know, everyone's just kind of conditioned <laughs> at that point. Um, is is great, um, but it's just it's it's finding the guy that can take over games. And I feel like where Oregon has that in Will Richardson, and UCLA has that in pick your team player here, probably Jaime Jaquez. Um, I don't feel like Arizona has someone that's proven that they can be that guy. Yeah. We've, we've made that, that point on several occasions throughout the years that, right. I don't have any, I don't have any reservations about Tommy Lloyd's ability to win games consistently throughout the regular season. Just when we get to, and maybe it works itself out throughout the, throughout the regular season, but that TCU game, Right. They walked away from that game with a win because they had the best player on the floor. And, and, and right. It's, it's one thing to have the best player on the floor against Washington state in late January, 
But having the best player on the floor in the second round of the NCAA tournament is a completely different beast. And somebody's going to have to take take that big step forward. Well, last thing on Arizona, they've got, you know, they've Arizona's kind of turned into this place that you have a couple freshmen every year that have Serbia or some other Eastern European country next to their name. Um, and then they have another, a couple other freshmen coming in. Um, if there were to be kind of that eighth guy, uh, one of these freshmen kind of be that eighth guy in the the rotation. Is there one that you're more that you're higher on than, than the others um, through in this, this group of Boswell, Visar Anderson, and then, for a Vichin, I'm going to butcher it, uh, for, uh, Philippe from, from Serbia. <laughs> yeah, so I feel like Kylan Boswell is going to be the most impactful. Um, I feel like he's the best. <laughs> and so if you get past Henderson and Ball as your first two off the bench, Kylan Boswell is that guy. I feel like when we're talking about players that might be forced into more minutes, Henri Visar is probably going to be that guy because... Umar Balo, while he's great, hasn't shown the ability to stay on the floor, hasn't hasn't had needed to stay on the yep. floor, right? Last year, he was a role player behind Coloco. Now he's the starting five. Um, you can play smaller and play to Bellis at the five. That's fine. But if you want to stay with that Twin Towers lineup and Balo has his issues either being consistent enough or fouling or anything like that, I feel like Henri Vissar, of the two seven-footers they have as freshmen, um, maybe may have the slight edge over Dylan Anderson now, at least from just an immediate ability to impact the game perspective. Before we sort of go back to the big picture at the end here, I wanted to touch real quickly on the bottom of this conference. We talked about it a little bit at the beginning. Is there is there hope for improvement? Because you look at these teams who were bad last season, and on top of that, now, yeah, some of them, as you, you mentioned, Watcherson, there's some interesting high-profile transfers that have come in kind of looking to sort of restart things after it didn't work at a, you know, more prestige, quote-unquote, more prestigious program. There's also an awful lot of teams that lost their two-leading scores, their three-leading scores. It's not like there are, you know, Stanford has plenty of pieces coming back, but outside of that, and Colorado's got some, a lot of these other teams are losing key players from teams that weren't where they needed to be last season. Anyway, do you feel like there's a chance we talk about the bottom of this conference differently by the end of the season? Or do you think it's going to be another situation where you got to win 14 plus conference games to have a chance at the NCAA tournament because your quality wins just aren't good enough. Um, I'll just run down the teams, Washington. Yes. Uh, Mike Hopkins, while he's not a great X's and O's coach, I feel like Washington just as a brand gets enough high profile talent and they have enough this year um, that they finished fifth in the Pac-12 last year. Uh, they lose Terrell Brown, which is massive, but, you know, losing Emmett Matthews or Dejan Davis or Nate Roberts, you know, the pieces they have coming in in, in Brooks, Noah Williams, Frank Ketning, um, even Braxton Mia, I feel like is enough to, to fill those holes. It's just who takes on the scoring load. Um, Washington state is a, I feel like they're going to continuously get better. They, I feel like they, I think they tied for fifth also last year. Um, Kyle Smith, I know is a great coach. Uh, they lose quite a bit, but they bring in quite a bit, right? Justin Powell wasn't big last year for Tennessee, but he was huge for Auburn at his previous stop. And if he can return to that Auburn level, 
Um, you know, his his ceiling's really high. They bring almost everyone back from last year. Jabe Mullen, same thing. Like he didn't find his footing at St. Mary's, but he showed flashes enough at St. Mary's that I feel like in a different uh in a different system, um, where maybe you're not relying so much on just being a very stout pick and roll defense, um, he'll excel a little bit more. And, and Kyle Smith is is one of the best analytics coaches in the country. So um, Washington state, I feel like is they're they're that high floor, low ceiling type of team. I feel like they're just going to be solid in the middle. Uh, the next one, I guess we can talk about is Arizona state. No, um, they have talent. Uh, Frankie Collins, isn't it? Um, so their point guards play is going to suffer. Uh, the Cambridge brothers, I feel like are both going to start. They're okay. Wings DJ horn probably their best player um which isn't saying much um warren washington gonna be a really good big i feel like especially early on when you're facing a lot of these freshman bigs that's where he might excel my biggest question is marcus bagley should be the best player on this team and i feel like he's just continuously slipping down this rotation i know when we talked to uh the coach about the rotation for the almanac he was listed as the seventh guy like this is someone that we were expecting huge things from as a freshman listed as the seventh mm. guy, Alonzo Gaffney, uh, pretty good cool role player as the sixth man, Luther Muhammad's very similar. I feel like he's a little bit more like David Singleton at UCLA, where you feel like every year he might make that next jump, but then they bring in guys who push him further down into the rotation. My biggest issue is Bobby Hurley. Like it seems like every year, Arizona state's biggest issue is chemistry the biggest issue is locker room issues and if it happens once or twice you can point to certain players but when it happens every single year like that's an issue and also arizona state i believe i believe has one winning season in the pac-12 under bobby hurley like that's not good like you're talking about a guy who's been there for eight years everyone thinks i mean like i don't think people think anymore that he's a good coach but like everyone seemed to think that he was a pretty good coach and like now after eight seasons or seven seasons, I guess having one winning record in the PAC 12, like that just stinks. That just stinks. And I think Arizona state probably moves on from Bobby Hurley. If this season falls apart. And I don't think this season's going to be very good for Arizona state. The bottom three being Utah, Utah, I think is going to get better um, just because I, I like Craig Smith as a coach. Um, I feel like Utah's in a similar situation to Colorado where it's just really tough to recruit there. Um, but I like some of the pieces he has coming in this year, specifically Mike Saunders and Ben Carlson and Gavin Baxter, if he can stay healthy and not play seven games before being out for the season again, um, uh, for like the fourth time, <laughs> Oregon state, no Oregon state's in the similar situation to Northwestern, right? You're going to have Wayne Tinkle riding off a, an incredible NCAA tournament run for like five years too long, mm -hmm. um, when they should move on. But, um, they just lose too much and they don't add enough to, to make up for that. And then Cal similar, um, they lose a lot. They bring in Devin Askew, not really high on him. They bring in DeJuan Clayton, who I think can make the jump up from the, the level he had to play when he was at Hartford. Um, but they lost their best player to a mid-major. Yeah. Like that's, that's telling. Um, and so, you're looking at Cal and Cal's administration just doesn't care enough about sports right now to really make the change. Um, but of those three, the one that I feel best about moving forward, not this year, but moving forward is Utah. Cal is just Cal. They're going to be stuck in a rut. And I feel like 
if Oregon State can make a change at head coach, then they'll be better off. I just don't think they will. But as for this year, those bottom three are going to be really bad. And the middle is going to be a mess. I feel like one or two might stand out, but you're going to have a lot of teams that fall apart early on in the season. And that's going to hurt the Pac-12 in January and February. Last thing before we before we get out of here, just in the NCAA tournament conversation and in the relative to the rest of the country, right? the Pac-12 was closer to the Mountain West and Ken Palm ratings than they were to the ACC in five uh, at five last year, Pac-12 sitting at six. So kind of right. This has kind of become the norm. Um, three tournament teams last year. Um, when we get to the end of the season, what's our conversation with the Pac-12 look like and how many tournament teams do you think? we're getting from the Pac-12 this season? Um, I think UCLA is a pretty good pick to maybe a three or a four seed. Um, Oregon and Arizona, I think, are going to put themselves right in that kind of seven through 10 conversation. Arizona has the chance to jump up into like the five or six, um, but I don't think that they're going to be much higher. Um, USC, Stanford. I'll just go USC, Stanford, and Colorado. I don't think washington ends up being there um usc if if they can hit and if iwa chukwu can come back i feel like they're in that kind of 10 11 conversation like first eight buys Mm -hmm. um stanford and colorado uh are in that first four conversation in dayton my one of my bold predictions uh for the pac-12 is i think colorado finishes fourth and Mm. may get but winds up in Dayton. Like, I feel like they're not going to be consistent enough over the course of the season. So they're just going to be a really good team over the course of the season where they're going to put themselves in the tournament conversation. Um, and they're going to be just as successful in the PAC 12 as they are in the non-conference, which I don't feel like is good enough to get them a buy, but, uh, Stanford, we'll see. Jared Haas is, is kind of the enigma as a head coach <laughs> where you don't actually know how good he is. Um, but yeah, I mean, outside of those six, I think the other six really don't have a shot at the tournament. And and if Arizona State falls apart and Washington State doesn't take that next step and Washington is Washington under Mike Hopkins and Stanford doesn't take that next step, you're talking about a Pac-12, especially one losing UCLA and USC. Um, you're talking about a Pac-12 that, you know, could be in the conversation as not the sixth best conference at the end of the year. Like that's... That's worst case scenario. Um, but if San Diego State and Wyoming are as good as they we think they'll be, and I think the middle of the Mountain West could be better than the middle of the Pac-12, we're talking about a we're we're gonna have a real conversation of the Pac-12 being on the same level as the Mountain West and the American and the A10 at the end of the year. And that's not where the conference wants to be, especially losing two of its top five team brands. Um, but especially in basketball, losing two of its top five teams. And, you know, having no real recourse for losing more going forward. Yeah, it's 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 not exactly the 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 light isn't necessarily at the end of the tunnel with with the future of the of the Pac-12 and, you know, basically all of the the pride and joy leaving for another conference. No. And and of all the Cal is the one that wants the Pac-12 to stay because. Um, you know, UCLA, USC, obviously heading out to the big 10, Oregon and Washington. There's been talks that they could head to the big 10 Stanford is a brand, a brand connected to Notre Dame. There could be a situation in which if everything else blows up, they go, Hey, Irish, let's go to the big 10. 
Arizona, um, Arizona State, Colorado, uh, Utah, they could go and and help to kind of build up that Big 12. Washington State and Oregon State might not want to admit it, but institutionally, they're a Mountain West program. Like they would fit in the Mountain West. Cal is the enigma. Institutionally, they don't fit in the Mountain West. Sports-wise, they don't fit in those Big Ten, uh, SEC, Big 12 conversations. I don't want to say that their backup option to the Pac-12 is the Big West, but their backup option to the Big Pac-12 might be the Big West. And so they (laughs) desperately need the Pac-12 in some shape or form to stay together, whether that's poaching from the Mountain West Mm. or or just retaining their, their teams because Cal is the one program as an institution that doesn't really fit anywhere yeah it's so right because they're they're, on paper they're a big 10 team big you know big 10 institution i should say yeah and like you said you get to the sports side of it and that's where stanford has an edge because stanford racks up national championships in maybe not the highest profile sports but every other sport right every other stanford just just (laughs) fine from an athletic standpoint to compete and hold their own in the big 10 yeah yeah We are all desperately rooting for the Big 12. Connor, thank you so much for taking 45, 50 minutes of your time to come and chat about a conference that not everyone wants to chat about. So thank you very much for your time. Yeah, of course. It's going to be fun. Um, I think UCLA walks away with it, but the race for bids is going to be, I think, more fun than the race for the actual Pac-12 championship, which... If you're into that sort of thing, which I am, it's fun to watch. If you want to actually watch a race that's meaningful from a conference perspective, uh, I think there are better conferences to watch, but (laughs) it is what it is. Fair enough. Connor, thanks for the time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Connor, for taking the time. Uh, Like I said, Connor Hope at Hoops Hope CBB on Twitter, part of the Heat Jack College Basketball Network. Um, I feel much more informed on the Pac-12. Without a doubt. We covered every team. There was real information delivered on every team. It's awfully impressive that amount of dedication, like you said, kind of unconditionally. You know, we're not, of course, there are some big brands. There are some teams that are going to be good in this conference, but it's not like you're, you're going through a big 10 or an ACC or something like that. And Connor could tell you about everybody from Cal to UCLA. It was yes. Incredibly enlightening conversation. I feel ready for Pac-12 basketball Hopefully we have some reasons to stay up and watch Pac-12 after dark outside of the games that you know are going to be interesting. Your UCLA, Oregon, your UCLA, Arizona, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, t- terrific conversation. You should be set for Pac-12 basketball now. Thanks to Connor. Yes. So shouts to Connor. We'll be back next week. One more conference. One more conference, One the more. Southeastern Conference, and a lot of fun teams to talk about there. So certainly not a... Uh, uh, certainly not saving the the least for last, so to speak. Um, lots of lots of teams rated highly in the preseason AP poll to talk about in that conversation. But that is next week. Um, if you missed any of our conference previews up until this point, all of those are on our podcast feed. All of those are on YouTube, so you can find those there. Jays for Days Pod on YouTube. Um, you can find them everywhere on our Twitter at Jays for Days Pod on my Twitter on Josh's Twitter. They're all over the place. So if you missed any of them, they are available on our feed. Thank you. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. And we'll be back next week with the Southeastern Conference. 
Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.